Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, December the 23rd, 2021. We're continuing in the uh, passage from yesterday in the Old Testament from 2 Samuel 7. Today it'll be verses 18 to 29. Remember, yesterday was the day when David decided that he would build a house for the Lord, and then the Lord spoke and responded to David through the prophet Nathan by telling him, nope, I'm going to build up your house. I'm going to give you a a house forever. So your house will be the line through which all the kings of Israel take their um, genesis. And then ultimately the Messiah will come from that line as well. And so we're going to continue with that with David's response to the word of the Lord through Nathan. And then we're uh, in Galatians 3, 1 to 14. We've been in Titus, and now we move into Galatians because we're, we're not treading water, but we're preparing for the incarnation. So um, we're not moving through a book at the moment. And then in Luke's gospel, we have Luke 1, verses 57 to 66, which is after Mary has gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And then what comes next is the birth of Elizabeth's son. So in the second Samuel passage, remember what I said was is that, that this is David's response to the word of the Lord, to the promise that was made through the prophet Nathan that David's house would be the house of the kings of Israel going forward. He says, so David went in and sat before the Lord. So he went, I guess, into the tabernacle and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? You can hear echoes of other psalms, actually, in that, where David will say things like, uh, Who am I or what am I? That What is man that thou art mindful of him? When I consider the heavens, the handiwork of, of your hands, the, the work that you have done, I, I consider my own inconsequential nature in that larger picture, and yet... You make much of us. You make yourself known to us, and you come to us and are present with us. And so here we can hear David marveling that that God has chosen him out of all the people of Israel, that it's through him and his house that the kings of Israel will come, and ultimately, as I said, the Messiah. He said, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, Lord, that you got me here where I am today seems now an inconsequential thing, even though I'm king of Israel. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. What do you mean it's instruction for mankind? David, how do you mean that? What are you trying to say when, when God has spoken about your house, David, for a while to come? How is that instruction for mankind? Well, it's the instruction is to trust him, and be obedient to him. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. And remember that, that that's exactly the truth of how David got actually raised up to become king to start with, was is that, that the Lord looked at the sons of Jesse and said to Samuel, you look at the heart, you look at the, at like the, 
like the earth and the world sees people. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the heart. The Lord sees the heart. So when David says, you know your servant, O Lord God, that's always been true. And it's also the sort of the truth of Psalm 139, where David says, where can I go to hide from the presence of the Lord? You know me. You know me because you knit me together in my mother's womb. You created me. You know everything about me in ways I don't even know myself. <clears throat> because of your promise, and this is, see, this is how to give thanks, and this is how to receive everything from the Lord. Listen to David's language. Listen to the pronouns mostly. Because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. It's not about me, David says. You know me. You know who I am. You know what I've done. But you are great, O Lord. You made this choice. I don't know why. You know me in ways that I don't know myself, and you've chosen me to be the vessel for the Messiah. For there's none like you, and there's no God besides you. There's, there's nothing else that can properly be referred to as a God, David says, next to you. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. So David says he did great things for Israel, but in doing so, he was doing it for his own glory to make a name for himself that the nations of the world might know. And we know that's true because he said he was going to get glory in the eyes of the Egyptians. And you established for yourself, your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And now, O Lord, become, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. In other words, you made a promise. I'm counting on that promise. <clears throat> and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Now, that's a fonder hope. Because <laughs> the, the whole idea of that he will be magnified forever through the people of Israel, it, it, it's a fond hope in a way that trusting that God's going to do what he said is not a fond hope. It's faith. Because God is unchangeable, and he does what he says that he will do. People, not so much. Because we know this is not going to last very long, actually, with the heavenly or the earthly kingship part of it anyway. And said, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. I, w I wouldn't have prayed this had you not made the promise. But because you made the promise, I'm asking you to establish it. Yes, that's my will too. It's my desire. And now, O Lord God, you're, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. In other words, David said, if you lay hands on this thing, and if you lay your blessings on this, then, then what you say will come true. And so he asks for God's blessing, which is to mean that he makes things possible that are impossible. That's what it means to be blessed, is, is that things will be as God intends them to be. In the gospel lesson, again, as I said yesterday, we were with Mary as she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and we heard Mary's song 
in response to Elizabeth's greeting to her. And so now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So a big crowd of people gathered around. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he should be called John, which is exactly what Gabriel told um, Zechariah to name this child. But they said to her, but none of your relatives are called by this name. And it was the tradition and the, the, the convention, maybe is a better way to say it, to name children after the father and after others in that line. And, you know, we've, we did the same thing in our house. Uh, our oldest son is named after me. He's the third. Our youngest son, Will, is named first after his grandfather, Suzanne's uh, father, William Paget, and then the Campbell is his middle name, and he, so he's named after my mother's maiden name. So we're honoring the past by the way that we named our children. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name, and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And so this is not American Sign Language, right? So they're just saying, Wait, what do you want to call this child? And, but, but remember, he can't speak. But here's the weird thing. Why are they making signs? Do they think that he can't hear? <laughs> it's, it seems odd that you don't just ask him, what do you want him to be called? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, it seems like it'd be easy enough to, to tell the whole story and say, you know, when I met Gabriel, when all this stuff happened and I lost my power of speech and all that kind of stuff, that, at the, that he told me that that was going to be the name. So the God, through the archangel Gabriel, named this child John. It was God's will that that's what he be called, and so he will be called that. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, because they saw this. Not only was the child miraculous, but so is this sign that when he says and is obedient to what God said, which is to name this child something nobody expected, and nobody even understands why they would be named that, then immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And it sounds like a similar kinds of miracles that Jesus will do. And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea, and who heard, all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? We've seen the signs, now we have great expectations for who this, what this child will be. Little did they know, he is Elijah. He is the one who has been promised through Malachi as the forerunner of the Messiah, and he's the one who will begin to turn the hearts of the people to God. And so that's John's role. I don't think anybody would have expected him to be the kind of person that he was, because remember, he is doubly in the line of the priests. And yet John doesn't become the great high priest. He becomes the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the one who is a little bit odd, to say the least, for one who had all these great expectations around him. However, his message attracted people who, who wanted to confess their sins, repent, be baptized, and become new creations prepared to greet the Messiah, for the hand of the Lord was with him. In the 
epistle today, the epistle to the Galatians, one of the main issues in the epistle to the Galatians, what it is that Paul is writing to them about more than anything else, is there have come among the Galatians those who would say, we got to return to the law, including being circumcised and all that, because Paul's going to say some uh, relatively rude things to the people who are now trying to convert those, the Christians there to Judaism. And so they think that this is just uh, Judaism extended, and in some ways there's a truth in that, but, it's, but, but it comes without all the requirements, the legal requirements, about how to become one, because it, it, it's either based in faith or it's based in works and doing those things. And so Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And they have a very simple response to that because any of these people who had been um, Gentiles before they became Christians, it would have been this very simple answer is, is that nobody asked us to do works of the law. We heard the gospel proclaimed and we responded with amen. It's true. Let it be so. Are you so foolish? He says, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And, and that's a really good question, and it's the, the theology that I grew up with wasn't this Judaizing theology, but the theology that I grew up in in the Methodist Church indicated that you could lose your salvation by the way you lived and by sin. It, it becomes a prompt towards righteousness and, and holiness in our lives, but the problem is, is, is that, that there's no security in that. And, and the answer, only answer to that is, is that that, the, that if my salvation didn't depend on me doing something, if it was all the work of Christ, then when does it become my responsibility to keep it? I'm either saved through faith, beginning to end, which doesn't mean that my life's not supposed to be changed, but the change in my life is not what saves me or keeps me saved. It shows that I am saved because I believe that to be true, and so I've adjusted my life around God's Word. But, it, but I continue to sin, because I live in this body, and so it can't depend on me. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So is he doing things among you because of things you do? Is he applauding in that way? Is that, that what's going on? Is he doing this in response to you? He said, basically what he's saying is that's the way pagans worship, that they do these things in order to get God to do the same kinds of things, only on a grander scale. He says, know then that it's those of faith who were sons of Abraham, Period. End of sentence. Whether you're Jewish or Christian, that same thing is true. It's faith. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So, in other words, 
this has always been God's promise, is through Abraham and his descendants, God would bless all nations on earth. And Paul says, and that's what's happening now. That's how come you have come into the covenant. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And he's already laid the case out in in the letter to the Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all under a curse through the law. Now it's evident that no one is justified by God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous are the ones who have been justified. They live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. And that's, he says, when he's writing to the Corinthians, that's why Jesus is a stumbling block for Jews, because he was cursed by God. But what was being cursed by God was sin. The resurrection is the final decider on what's cursed and what's blessed. And what's blessed is Jesus. What's cursed on the cross is sin. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's as simple as that, he says. It's it's all to do with faith. And that's exactly what David says. David trusted the Lord because the Lord spoke. David believed it. He believed it was already done, already finished. Zechariah when he speaks and says, his name shall be called John, bespeaks faith. I believe the words of the archangel. I believe this, this child was born because of a work of God, not because of some human thing. And when he says his name is to be John, then he acknowledges that he believes the words of the archangel because he has seen this great miracle come to pass, and yet we're called to be like David, believing that if God said it, it's already come to pass.